Hey everyone, this is Joel Kaskinen with the Great Minds podcast from Lost and Found. We just recorded our very first episode with Katrina Eady. Katrina is a licensed mental health therapist here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. She's a business owner, a young advocate, and she's really changing the landscape for mental health here. We talked about her past experiences, we talked about her work as a mental health therapist, and we talked about systems and how we can build more accessible and inclusive communities. We really hope that you enjoy this episode. It was a blast to record, and we're excited to share it with you. Welcome to the podcast. You are here with us today for our first episode of Great Minds with Lost and Found. So thanks so much for being here, Katrina. Yeah, thank Uh, you for having me. Absolutely. Well, my name is Joel Kaskinen. As you know, um, I work with Lost and Found. Eric Mackey is our CEO and my co-host for the day. And we are going to get into it with you about mental health, therapy, all things mindfulness. (laughs) Yes. So Katrina, if you wouldn't mind just um, sharing with us a little bit about your background with mental health, who you are, why you're with us today, and we'll go from there. Okay. Thanks, Joel. I'm Katrina Eady, and I'm a Sioux Falls, South Dakota native, and currently I work as a mental health and addictions therapist in the Sioux Falls community. Um, my my journey with mental health started as an adolescent, and I, I kind of always knew I wanted to do something in the helping profession, whether it be social work or therapy. Um, and so kind of going through my own battles as a teenager and young adult, um, I Went to went to school at USF, got a degree in psychology, and then went to the University of South Dakota and got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. Um, and ever since then, I've worked in inpatient, outpatient facilities. I um, host groups. I do individuals, couples, family therapy, and so it's been it's been a it's been a ride. Um, but it's been such a such a blessing to kind of take my own personal. Um, my own personal experiences and education and put it all together and help other people now. Amazing. Well, thanks for doing that work. Um, some people say that we do the Lord's work in mental health and counseling. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, we're we're certainly doing just that. Um, I want to dive in a little bit. Uh, the purpose of the podcast is to talk about personal stories with mental health and um, the ways in which we've been impacted, but also to shed some light on the overall systems that we have in place when it comes to mental health and um, kind of the ways in which we can instill change um, to those systems in the landscape at large. So I want to kind of just jump into your personal story a little bit and why you got into working in therapy and then kind of talking as a provider what you do. Um, Just share that with us a little bit further. Sure. So my story has a lot of layers to it um, and is over the course of several years. But I think my first my first encounter in learning about my own mental health was I was I was always a really anxious kid and I would always get I would get sick a lot. I would faint a lot. Um, I would I would have like a lot of panic attacks, um, but didn't really know what it was. And then um, in my freshman year of high school, um, developed an eating disorder, and that went on for a really long time, um, lost a significant amount of weight, was very ill. Um, and when you're not 
nourishing your body, Mm -hmm. you will get depressed, you will get anxious. Um, And so that was my first encounter with therapy. And um, I'm so, so grateful that my, um, my parents took me, um, took me to therapy and were open to that. Um, I still have the same therapist today, um, 17 years later. And, um, and she has taught me so much and, and I'll just be forever grateful for that. But that was a really long road. Um, and something that I would have to, um, honestly say I still struggle with today. Um, but, um, over over the course of several years, just learning more about myself, learning more about depression and anxiety and how to manage that in healthy ways. Um, it was um, it was life changing for sure. Um, the best education I ever received was in therapy. <laughs> forget the textbooks, forget the classroom. It was <laughs> funny how that works. <laughs> it was definitely in therapy. And, and so that's um, what I'm just so grateful to now pass on to my clients is the education and um, and just to have somebody to listen to them. And, um, you know, for so long, I felt like I was like, something was so wrong with me and, um, and I was crazy and I was so different and all of these things when really it was just that I was struggling and I, I just didn't really know what it was. So, um, yeah. And then, um, and then later, um, in my college years, my, um, younger brother, was diagnosed with cancer. He was 15 at the time and passed oh away 11 months later. Um, so I lost, so that was, I mean, that was a very intense year. Yeah, My senior year yeah. of college um, was when that was going on. And that really kind of plummeted me back into that depression and anxiety. Um, I mean, I always kind of have like a level of that, but um, very severe, um, just really not in a good place. Mm-hmm. And then five months later, lost my dad, um, to a heart attack. And so in a matter of five months, I lost two of the most important people to me. Um, and that, that was kind of another, that was a moment that my life really changed. Um, and so sought out therapy services again, um, had kind of taken a break from that and things were going well and I was utilizing my, my coping skills and everything like that. But when that happened, I think I was kind of in denial that I needed help. And so it wasn't probably until a year later that I sought out my counselor again. And it was one of those, like, I probably should have been here a long time ago, but I'm here now. Um, And that's been a really long, a really long road is processing that grief and kind of learning how to live life without that now. Mm -hmm. So it was like these, this complex layer of depression and anxiety and grief just on top of itself over and over again. So um, kind of felt like I got punched in the face and was getting back up and doing really well and only to kind of get punched back down again. But yeah, um, yeah but that has given me such a perspective um, and such resilience um, that I feel like I know I'm a better person because of it. I know that I'm kinder to people. I I have an understanding of people. I understand what it's like to be broken and beat mm-hmm. down and just feeling hopeless and helpless and worthless. And so although I'm not grateful for these awful things that have taken place in my life, I am grateful for what it did for me. Um, and it's it's my honor and it's my privilege to be able to um, walk with people through through their tough times too, because I know I know how much that means to yeah. a person 
from my own personal experience. So, wow, that is <laughs> quite the story. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And, of course. Um, you know, mental health is messy and it's real and it's raw and it's vulnerable. And you just mm-hmm. perfectly encaptured that. And I just want to say sorry for your loss. And I mean, thank you for giving back to people through your experience and for finding that resilience. And I mean, Eric and I both have our own mental health journeys too. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's why we're in this work. And yeah, but sorry and thank you. But um, yes. so you took your experience and you kind of shaped your future, your life around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're now a provider. So as a provider, what kind of services do you give to people? How do you walk alongside of them through their own journeys? You know, when we're talking about systems of mental health, you're one of those people that is helping to make these changes. So what does your daily look like? Yeah. So, um, well, it, it never looks the same, which I'm grateful for. But the majority of my work is with individuals, um, mostly um, young adults. Um, and I work a lot with substance use um, and mental health, so co-occurring, co-occurring disorders. Uh, typically, you know, a substance abuse problem or disorder or addiction doesn't really develop because things are going well for a person. Right. Um, and so typically there's another layer to just the substance use there. So a lot of co-occurring disorders, um, which I really have a heart for, um, a lot of eating disorders. And um, I also uh, facilitate some support groups, um, one for addiction recovery. Um, so for individuals that are in long-term recovery or are seeking that, um, and then one that I call the body wellness group. And we talk about body image, eating disorders, healthy living, that sort of thing. God, so. I need to come to one of your groups. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And um, like I said, I mean, I take my own personal my own personal knowledge, but also my education and training and um, just feel like I can give give that to other people. And, um, you know, I, I never want to make it about myself when mm-hmm. someone comes through the door. Um, but when I say that I understand, I really do. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's such a gift to be able to see people come in. Um, I, I mean, I'm just so proud of people to just walk through the door and say like, I need help. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong Mm -hmm, or I don't mm -hmm. know what to do. Um, Like that itself is such a feat for people. Um, And so first and foremost, just kind of praising them for, for being willing to ask for help and then walking alongside them and just letting them know like, Hey, we're all hurting and there is no shame in that. And um, we are just people trying to help another person. Like we're just Mm -hmm. people trying to help people. (laughs) Right. Um, So there's really, um, I don't know. I just, I, tr- I want to make it a community. I want people to know that, um, that they're heard and maybe they, maybe they're coming to therapy because they're not being heard yeah. or they don't feel seen or they, they feel like no one's listening. Um, and so that's just, that's such a, like a ministry to me to be able to give that to people and, um, and see them, see them grow and see them learn and just have a better life, you know, just healthier, happier life. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, I mean, I personally think the hardest part of therapy is getting in the door. So, I mean, the fact that you said that you praise people and welcome them with open arms and you're listening and you're talking to them about, you know, where they're at and just being willing to say like, 
I understand and I'm mm-hmm. I see you, I hear you because I've been there. That's so important. I mean, absolutely. I lived my anxiety kept me from seeking therapy for the longest time. It does and it so was, many people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like I'm anxious about going to therapy. I'm anxious about starting medications. And it was like that kept me from it for years, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think so many people are in the same boat. So the fact that you just welcome them right in and that you mentioned that and you you call it by name, I think is really cool. Yeah. So we don't need to live in the denial that we need help, right? Yeah. I think right. I know like personally, I've been like, it's not that bad. I can yeah. get through this. You know, I have friends, I have family and people will say like, well, you can talk to me. And and, and that's great and, and very appreciative of that. But, um, you know, I just, I guess I would just tell people like, don't don't have so much pride like mm-hmm. there's there's really no shame there's no judgment there's nothing i haven't heard yes. so, yeah if you, <laughs> that's probably for sure yeah. know, um, <laughs> and and there are people so willing to help there are people that are so ready to just sit with you and listen mm-hmm. and there and it's it's private it's confidential no one needs to know that you're there you could come in and dump your life story out on the floor and never talk to me again and it's not going anywhere right there's something kind of liberating about that mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. Just, just slightly yeah <laughs> so anyway that's that's great yeah I, say, I keep thinking you know as you have folks coming to you and you're trying to sort of help them you know take the first step and and advance their well-being how much of your work also helps them sort of navigate a system? Like I know there's a lot of different layers where you're talking about, especially co-occurring disorders. Like how, how does that look in your relationship with your clients? Well, yeah, that's such a good question. Um, There, there are resources out there, right? And, and it is so alarming how many people are unaware of the resources that are available Mm -hmm. to them. And, um, and that's not their fault, um, by any means, but, um, that's, that's another gift that I, that I feel I can give to people is just connecting them with the right resources, the right support networks, um, you know, referring them to other providers if necessary. Um, a lot of people just don't even know where to start. Um, and, and it, and it is so scary to walk into a, you know, to walk up to a stranger and, and kind of pour this really dark thing on the floor of mm-hmm. whatever you're going through. And, um, and yeah, so I think sometimes it just takes like that right person or that right group or that right, you know, resource, whatever it is to, to help a person kind of see the light. Um, so yeah, as far as the systems go, I guess I've, I've worked, I've worked with a few. Um, when I was in grad school, I worked at a halfway house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also worked with the women's prison, um, department of corrections and the community transition program, okay. which helped women that paroled to Sioux Falls, find mm-hmm. housing, find jobs, Um, we did a lot of just basic life skills that they didn't know about, you know, like one girl didn't, didn't have an ID, you know, and, and that was such a big deal for her Mm -hmm. to go down to the courthouse and get an ID, um, or like a library card. I mean, just kind of these little things that opens up a whole nother world. I mean, just getting to go to a library and like educate yourself, like that was something she didn't realize she could do for free. Right. Like you just go get a library card. Right? Yeah. So that's just an example. But um, I just, I remember 
like learning so much from those women um, coming out of prison and transitioning back into the community, just how much they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it was just because they maybe didn't have support growing up. They maybe didn't have an education. Um, they were maybe kind of bounced around in the system yeah. and no one just took the time to just kind of lay out some of these basics for them that really could set the tone or set the stage for them to be so successful. Um, so even just like getting an ID, getting a job, talking about budgeting, um, talking about like smart money management, healthy eating, um, just all of these things that can just build such a strong foundation for a person. Um, that was just, that was just an example of, of something, um, Another system that I work with a lot is the court system. Um, So I've had a lot of individuals that were um, court ordered for Mm -hmm. treatment. Um, And for some people, they, you know, some people are pretty, pretty ornery about that. Um, You know, and obviously like going through anything legal is very stressful um, and time consuming and, and costs money and that sort of thing. And so some people kind of walk through the door and be pretty ornery about being there. Um, but they're kind of my favorite. And, (laughs) um, but then some people would say this was the best thing that ever happened to me. I wouldn't have sought help unless I was in this position where I was forced to. And for some people, it does take that kind of that, that rock bottom, that breaking point. Um, and so just kind of helping them navigate through that and work through those stages of change and, um, and realize like there is a whole nother life out there for them. Um, and it doesn't have to continue the way that it was. Um, they maybe just never knew any different and it was just too scary to see, uh, or just too scary to take steps into the unknown. So, um, so that's been a, that's been a gift too, is just to kind of work through pe- work with people as they go through legal troubles, um, lots of times related to substance use, um, and, and so not only, you know, not only do we discuss the substance use and kind of eliminating that out of our life and seeing how much better our overall health and well-being is, but then there becomes so much more to the story. Mm-hmm. You know, then we, then I really get to learn about like who that person is inside and maybe parts of them that are damaged or have been hurting for a long time and were just masked by the drugs or the alcohol. And so then we not only work through the addiction, we work through, you know, the family system, we work through healthy relationships, we work through boundary setting, we work through grief and trauma and just pain. And um, yeah, there's just so many layers to it. I don't I don't know yeah. if I really answered your question. You, you did. And I'm also <laughs> very like, I, I think sometimes it's easy for people to assume, you know, if you're coming into therapy, you're looking for support for a substance use disorder, like you're going to treat that without thinking about all the underlying mm-hmm. things that are going on in your world. But then mm-hmm. also, okay, how does this outside world work that we're trying to like when you're talking about things like the education system, you're talking about, uh, I should say financial education, you're talking about mm-hmm. navigating the prison system, like all these, these elements where people are like, oh, like. Yeah, it's just mental health. We can just mm-hmm. talk about the, you know, one thing we're trying to treat. Well, There's how do so we interface with everything yeah. else going on in the world? So Yeah, it's not just be happy, think positive thoughts, right. you know, be around <laughs> happy people. That is, that is, uh, you know, that's all good and well, but there's so much more to it. And yeah, I think, um, 
I think one of the biggest barriers that I know people have mentioned is cost and and transportation or just kind of location of services. Um, so it it was really important for me when I was looking for my own office space that I was near a bus stop. Um, and so if someone is having trouble getting transported, um, you know, utilize the bus system mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the halfway houses, they provide transportation to your appointments or that sort of thing. Like people can take advantage of that while they have it so that they can continue to get the support that they need. And then maybe they get to save enough money and get their own vehicle someday. Mm-hmm. Um, anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's, those, those have been barriers for people I know for certain. And so I'm glad that like, I know downtown Sioux Falls has put some things in place now, um, that are hopefully walking distance for some to go and receive the help that they need, both Mm -hmm. medical services and mental health services. And I say, I keep, and I keep thinking ahead, I guess, Katrina, to like, when you think about all these barriers that we're dealing with, Mm -hmm. so described a litany Mm-hmm. You know, how do we start piecing this together and actually get people access to care? Because obviously by the time they've reached you, you know, if they're if they're going to court, like it's sort of a, OK, cool. Well, we've mm-hmm, reached this point. Mm-hmm. Like what about beforehand? Like why? Are, how are we getting people access to care? What What are your thoughts on that? How how are we giving them yeah, access? Or I should say, what are the things we can do? Um. I mean, I think I think just like letting people know it's available to them. Um, and I mean, I think it starts with discussions at home. I think it just start it starts with discussions at school. Um, I think it's le- opening the door to let people know that it's okay to ask for help. Um, I think I I mean, I think it starts with education and mm-hmm. um a good a good place would be obviously our school systems. Um you know, just teachers kind of providing that education to kiddos of things to look out for, whether it be within themselves or within their family or someone that they care about. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's such a, that's such a hard thing to say because I think so many people think like, oh, it's, it's too, it's just too much, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like. It just, it's just too much. It's too much trouble to, to get to the facility. It's too much money. I don't have insurance. I don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, this is just going to be what it is. I think so many people are already feeling so helpless and and hopeless that it's just hard for them to see that there are services out there that are affordable, are available to them. It's just getting, getting the awareness out, getting the word out that those, those things are available. Um, and I, I think we're getting better at mm-hmm. talking about those things. I think we're getting better at putting um, putting that that word out there. Um, but I mean, obviously, like we're just three people here mm-hmm. and, and we can only do so much. So it really takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it really takes a community. And um, I, yeah, I don't I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, there's there's so much I could say, but. <laughs> Um, go off, go yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, most, most counseling agencies will offer like a sliding scale fee. Uh-huh. Um, there are some state accredited agencies that receive funding from the state that can go to people who qualify for that, you know, low income, um, individuals. I offer a sliding scale fee for people. I never want costs to be a barrier for someone getting the help, especially if they're ready to do the work. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't work for free, um, but 
but I can give that gift to people to know that like, I never want, I never want the cost or the transportation to be what hinders them from getting the help they need. Um, I mean, yeah, we have like virtual, we have Zoom, we have telehealth options now, which has been able to reach so many people, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Um, so grateful for that. Um, and yeah, there's there's things in place. We just need to we just need people to know about them and we just need to remind them that it's available. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I keep thinking, Joel, as we're thinking about sort of where we're going with the work that we're trying to do both at Lost and Found and also thinking sort of in the broader ecosystem, you know, you mentioned things like, okay, folks navigating the courts is a prison system. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know that I myself even fully understand sort of what that looks like in terms of mental health treatment in that world. You know, I guess, mm-hmm. Katrina, from your perspective, like what is what does that look like in terms of, you know, what what works well, what you see, you know, almost kind of a day in the life, if you will. And then thinking about sort of where where do you see improvements that we can think about just kind of walking through sort of that. Are you, are you asking improvements within the correctional f- yeah. Like system? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there, there are mental health services available to um, incarcerated individuals. There is um, the South Dakota um, Department of Social Services does mm-hmm. have uh, correctional behavioral health. Um, so there is, um, I know that there are um, groups offered um, different educational groups, whether that be substance use or maybe anger management. Um, I, you know, there's there's kind of a plethora of them. Um, I guess my concern with that would be, what are we doing to help people transition? I think that's mm-hmm. the most important thing um, because our the recidivism rate is um, yeah. not not well and. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think, you know, so there's a lot of people that have become just familiar with living in an institution and, and they feel safer there, you know, their needs are being met to them there or their needs are being met there. Um, but I, I think if, if we could offer the education of just those life skills, kind of like we were talking about, um, people would see that they can make it on, on the outside. Um, they just need, I think the support, transitioning back into the community is what is so important Mm -hmm. um and and having those services set up for them for success um once they leave because that is scary for someone to go from um being incarcerated back out into the real world i mean one it might not even look the same right depending on how long they've been in there they might not have anybody um they might not want to go back to where they came from for several reasons maybe it's not safe or just not a healthy environment Mm -hmm. for them um so a lot of these people are going at it alone um and and when they get you know they get stressed out they get anxious they get overwhelmed they're going to go back to what they know um and and so i think if we can try to implement um you know just more supportive services both in and out of um, you know, of a correctional facility, um, the better able we are to help people. You know, prison was supposed to be rehabilitation, right? It was mm-hmm. supposed to be to help people um, rehab and get back on their feet and and find ways to to be a productive member of the society. And um, we have so many people incarcerated for, um, you know, substance-related things. And certainly with that come 
um, come some other poor behaviors. Um, but I think if we can help people really get to the root of their problems and, um, and just offer them that unconditional positive regard and that support and let them know like, yeah, you've made mistakes, but like, you don't have to live like this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be like this. Um, it's, I, I just think that that would be so important, but I think that there's just such a need. There's just so many individuals with a need and just not enough providers to, to offer that. And so we're just, you know, I, I know I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm booked. I know many of my colleagues are too, which is great that so many people are seeking services, but we just need more help out there. And it might not even need to be like an individual therapist. Sure. It might not even need to be a duly licensed therapist. It might need, it could just be a support group. It could just be some educational opportunities. It could just be um, some online resources for people to tap into and and utilize and um, yeah, just gain just gain that that positive support. Um, but obviously, there's there's a lot of factors that go into that, and mm -hmm. um, certainly people coming out of a correctional facility struggle to trust others. Um, they've you know prison is a whole different culture and um they you know they're scared and it's hard to trust people and so it that that also creates a barrier of people asking for help so that makes sense yeah on well, it seems like and, and tell me if this this fits so you're talking a little bit about almost a workforce shortage so to speak sort of thinking about okay where mm -hmm. how do we focus on that but then also thinking you know what you're talking about in a lot of ways is sort of the community, sort of the understanding and, and you know, again, right. professional in the nonprofit mental health space, don't know that much about the prison system or the culture inside of sure. it. Maybe not a good thing necessarily, not a bad thing. Why also. would you, but why would you, why would you, why mm -hmm. would you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to think about, you know, when you think about, and I, I would love to dig in more on the workforce side of this, but like the community, like what should we know about, like prison culture and thinking about the mental health culture within that. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I might have Hard opened Pandora's questions here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I don't know if I'm the best one to speak on, on these things. Um, I can only really speak on what I, what I know and what I've experienced working with individuals um, transitioning back into the community and, mm -hmm. um, and working with parole services. Mm -hmm. But I think as a community, just know, like, you know, these individuals are scared and they need a chance and, and we can help them. I'm not saying you have to be buddy, buddy with them. I'm not saying, but you know, these people have made mistakes and they've served their time mm -hmm. and now this is their second chance. And so rather than looking at them with these eyes that say like, Ooh, they're bad or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Oh, like I would, I don't want to, be near that person they've been to prison you know it's like they're just people yeah and we need to be helping them we need mm -hmm, to be praying mm -hmm. for them um we need to be offering an ear i mean who i've learned so much from my my patients over the years um i've probably learned more from them than they've ever learned from me but um i i think yeah it's just it's just recognizing like these people are hurting too um, they've had some bad things happen to them. Now, there are some people that will reoffend and will maybe spend the majority of their life incarcerated. Sure. But there are a lot of people that 
reoffend because they're just so afraid of the community. They're just so afraid of being out on mm-hmm. their own. And they do just feel more comfortable or safer incarcerated um, because their basic needs get met. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it just takes like that one person or it just takes that one group to just embrace an individual and be like, hey, like we're here to help you. How can we help you? You got to help us help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and and just know that like these are just people trying to make it too. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, and they've, yeah, I, you know, par- parole services does a really good job of setting up support services too, but, but they're, they're overwhelmed too. I mean, they have a lot of people that they're supervising and, um, you know, we're, we're all doing our best, but I think, I think there could definitely be more, um, just more support there. That makes sense. Yeah. So shifting gears away from the prison system a little bit, um, you just brought up a really good point of the overwhelm and the need that we have. What is something that we as individuals, the three of us in this room, but also our neighbors and our families and our community members, what is something that is a need here in Sioux Falls or in the state of South Dakota that you see that maybe with just the collective help of individuals getting, you know, three of us here in a room Mm -hmm. talking about it and then putting it into action? What, What is a need that you see in our area, in our region that we could help to you know, patchwork, you know, just the grassroots efforts. We, you know, three of us can put together, make it all happen. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there, there are several needs. Um, but I think, I think one of the things we could be doing as, as individuals or community, um, would be outreach, um, outreach and education, um, anything we can do to meet, meet the masses, so to say. So, you know, certainly like doing a podcast or, um, having things out on social media, um, or that sort of thing can just reach a wide variety of, of individuals and age groups and needs, um, you know, just kind of speak to different needs. And so I, yeah, I think just the more that we can remain, like keep our hearts and our minds open Mm -hmm. to, to helping others and, and listen, um, and, and really, you know, there's, there are a lot of people that feel a call to action, which is great. Um, but there's, there's so many ways that we can get involved and, and Sioux Falls has an amazing community. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we really are, we're set up well to do really good work here, um, because we are growing, but we are still small. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that there is a really good community feel here. Um, so I, yeah, I think, I think we're in like prime position to um to really try to put some things together and and reach out to people and do some advocacy and do some education whether that be in the school systems or just kind of out in public forums or I don't know there's so much yeah. <laughs> there's so I much mean, we could do Exactly well and that's why I was asking you know from yeah. your perspective what are those needs because I personally, I'm with you. I believe that there is so much that we can be doing. And I think that we're off to a great start, especially here in Sioux Falls. But, you Mm -hmm. know, I think especially the state of South Dakota, we are rural and we're a very large state. And I think that there's just, there's lots of opportunities that, you know, especially in other pockets of the state that 
that need isn't being met, even though, you know, we might be off to a good start here in Sioux Falls, but it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that everyone else in the state feels that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many volunteer opportunities mm-hmm. out there. Um, you know, I think I think also just kind of like what I said, leaving leaving like your heart and your mind open to um to these things that you could become a part of, just asking how can I help or volunteering or getting involved or even just I mean, even just giving someone five minutes of your time to listen could be a game changer. Um and, you know, I think just remembering like mental illness is scary, but it's not that scary. Like these are people that are ill. These yeah. are people that are <clears throat> sick. And we, we help people that are physically sick. You know, we help people, we, 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 we give them, we give them kind of the time and, and the patience there. And we need to do the same with people that are mentally Absolutely. ill and, yeah, it might look erratic or it might seem scary, but they need our help, you know. And so that's our duty as able-bodied people yeah. um, to to help them. And yeah, I, I think if if people just can recognize, like, they're just people, we're all just people. Yeah. So. I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> that, that was perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Oh, my gosh. What um, is a piece of advice that you would have to give to someone in our community or someone that you are walking past on the street who's just going through it? I'm just curious. It can be about anything. It can be about need. It can be about support. I'm just curious from your lens and your own personal experience with work and lived struggles and trauma, a piece of advice that you would give to someone who's struggling I feel like I'm supposed to say something so profound. No, uh, not at all. Just, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, everyone just has such unique needs that, um, but for someone that's struggling, I think just like, just being kind, just being mm-hmm. respectful, um, just asking, how can I help you? How's your day? Um, or, or to someone that's maybe not struggling, but wants to help others is just saying like, you know, remember, like, we we all go through something at some point and and what a gift it is to give to somebody just a minute of your time or just that. I don't know. Uh, there, there's so there's so much we can do just by simply being respectful or, or kind to someone or um, connecting them with the right people. I don't know. There's. That's a that's a hard question. <laughs> Sorry, because there's so many things I can say. Me. Yeah, I mean, you were you. Had... It's hard to know the right words for for someone, and sometimes just saying like, "I'll just sit with you yeah. for a minute," or just saying like, "I'm here with you," is enough. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think we get so caught up in like, I don't know what to say, so I'm just not going to say anything yeah. at all. And sometimes that's the worst thing you could yeah. do, you know. So sometimes just even even acknowledging that, like. I don't know what to say, but I just want you to know that I'm here with you or mm-hmm. I just want you to know I'm I care about you. I'm thinking of you. What can I do? I don't know what to say, but what can I do? Mm-hmm. And it might be giving that person a ride somewhere. Mm-hmm. It might be yeah. like taking that person out for a cup of coffee. It might simply just be smiling at that person yeah. and saying like I hope you have a better day today or whatever. Yeah. I mean it just I guess it doesn't need to be so profound, huh? No, it doesn't. (laughs) Well, the reason I ask is you said 
sometimes I think that we need to be listening more. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, something that is so simple for us to do. But yes. I don't think the world in which we live in allows that space to listen. Right. We just want to fill the air. We exactly. just want to talk, 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 talk. We're mm-hmm. we're not comfortable being uncomfortable in in silence and mm-hmm. listening. And- exactly. And so that's why I asked you, you know, what piece of advice you have, because I want to be able to listen to that you know, piece of advice so I can go out and do something different. But also, you know, I want to make sure that I'm listening to you. I'm listening to whoever I'm talking to on the street. So mm-hmm. it just came to me when you said that. And I was like, yeah. we don't listen enough. So yeah. Well, yeah. And like, listen to understand that mm-hmm. person. Don't just listen to feel like you're doing your due diligence and give them a response and leave. Like, yeah. really listen to them. Listen to, you know, and maybe listen to what they're not saying. Definitely. Like, if they're going, I'm fine. And they're crying. Like, they're probably not fine. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, the 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 nonverbal cues are so much, so much more important, I think, sometimes. And I don't think not everyone knows how to read them and mm-hmm. articulate what's going mm-hmm. on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if you see someone struggling on the street and they're, like, not doing well and you don't feel comfortable approaching them or something like that. Call law enforcement, call the non-emergency number and say, hey, someone needs some help so they can get them somewhere safe, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're close on time here. Um, So I want to kind of wrap us up here. Um, We asked advice, you know, we asked in terms of systems, things that we can be doing. Um, I want to hear from you a little bit more as we close things up here. Um, where can people find your work? And like, if people are looking to be connected to you in any way, whether it's because they have a need, they want, they're looking for services and providers, or they're just hearing you thinking, wow, you're so fun. I want to be in a space where I can, I can be heard <laughs> and supported and I can listen, you know, where can people find you at? Yeah. Um, well, again, my name's Katrina Eady. Um, I am in private practice. My practice is called Forward Counseling um, because the only direction time moves is forward. Um, And um, my office is within Sela Space um, at 117 West 39th Street in Sioux Falls. And you can go to my website, forwardcounselingllc.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. I have a page for my business that I'm not very good at running, but <laughs> I'm working on it. Once a um, I, I have a blog on my website that I'm really proud of where I kind of speak to um, – I speak about things from a professional standpoint as well as my personal standpoint and kind of themes that I'm hearing from clients – um, that I think could be helpful in in reaching out to others too. So, yeah, that's um, yeah. And if if you ever if you ever see me out and about, you say hi because I love to meet new people. <laughs> Great. I'm yeah. I'm I'm small, but I'm not scary. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, gotta be like the best the best line that you could you know <laughs> hand over your business card. Yeah. I know I'm small, but I'm not scary. <laughs> I love it. And I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people think of therapists as like these old ladies with like their glasses at the bridge of their nose, just yeah. like, how does that make you feel? And it is not like that. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. We try to make therapy as painless as possible. So good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on with us today, Katrina. It was a blast. And I know I got a lot out of this conversation, and I hope our listeners do too. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more about Katrina and the work that she does, you can go to forwardcounselingllc.com. If you'd like to learn more about Lost and Found and what I'm doing for work, you can go to resilienttoday.org and make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. Thanks so much.